0: The following is from East Delta Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at www.eastdeltabc.com. That's the good music this morning, wasn't it? Hope you enjoyed it and I hope you participated in it because that's what it's all about. And uh, if you will turn to Romans chapter 12, we're going to finish up from last week and kind of finish a series up on uh, knowing and doing the will of God and living life on a purpose. And I hope that uh, I go back to our first week, and I hope that you remember this. God gives us a, uh, a desire, or he gives us a concern, and we're to cultivate that concern. We're to start praying about that concern and saying, God has laid something on my heart, and uh, here's the concern, and then we're to uh, think about the impacts of eternity that that's going to have, whatever that concern is. If God is giving giving it to you, it's going to be some type of ministry that's going to benefit himself or his kingdom or his people. And think about the impact that has on eternity. And then after you cultivate that concern, after you think about or consider the impact, then it's got to have feet behind it, and uh, it has to be put into motion. We talked that first week about remembering that sometimes God gives you a concern, he doesn't give it to anybody else, and so it's easy to get frustrated and saying, boy, I want to do this, and I want to see this happen, and I can't get anybody behind me. Well, God gave you the concern, and uh, he's probably equipped you for that, and uh, don't uh, sit back and wait on someone else, but really uh, jump in there and decide and see how God can use you to fill that concern that he's given to you, And uh, we need to understand that as God gives us a concern, that uh, he will equip us with those things. So this morning, we're going to finish up uh, talking about how to know the will of God. And we looked at some therefores last week, and uh, I just want to quickly remind you, I'm not going to go through all of them, but Paul is looking back over the book of Romans. He's teaching Christians. He's teaching new Jews about this new person, Jesus Christ, who has came, and he's started a new way, it's no longer are they under the law, but they're under grace, and he has these four therefores, and in chapter 12, he's looking back and kind of reflecting on everything he's been teaching, and he says, therefore, I urge you, or I'm, I'm really asking you, I'm really drawing to you, uh, brothers, that in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, and, and remember what he's saying, and we talked about this last week. He's saying and in the light of everything that's happened, in the light of what i 've been teaching in the light of what i 've been talking about i want to I want to urge you I want to ask you to to consider god 's mercy, and that 's what he 's been talking about is considering god 's mercy, so this morning, as we get ready to move on and we talked last week about the first step in knowing god 's will and understanding god 's will and in order to uh, for God to give us a concern to cultivate, we have to be saved. And we talked about that last week and what that means, and we're not going to go into that again this morning, but I ask you uh, to consider this question, are you prepared for Christ's return? Now, we always ask the question, are you saved? Have you received Christ? And the church answer, of course, is always yes. Yeah, I've done that, I've done that. But are you prepared for Christ's return? If you would answer yes this morning, then beyond being saved, and this is where we're going to begin this morning, this is the second thing, is for us to know God's will, we have to be surrendered. And, and just look at verse 12 and, and uh, verse 1 in chapter 12 of Romans, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, and we talked about that God's mercy last week, that's, that's us not getting what we deserved. In the view of those things, offer your bodies as living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Now, we're going to go ahead and read verse 2, and we're going to get to that a little bit later. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. Now, we're not going to go any farther right now, but when we think about being surrendered, I want you to think about what this really means. Paul is talking here about giving our bodies, urging us to give our bodies as living sacrifice. That word, offer, is kind of a technical term that was used to describe the bringing and the presenting of, of animals to the altar, as that word, offer, would say. So, So... To offer that animal, I want you to think about this. This is kind of a no-brainer. When an animal was offered in the Old Testament times, it was the end of that animal, wasn't it? In other words, that animal gave everything on the altar. So when we talk about this, that's a new ideal to the Jews. Paul is saying this, in the past, we had animal sacrifices. In the past, God was pleased with animal sacrifices. He tells them, no longer is God pleased with that, but he wants the followers of God or the followers of Christ to offer their bodies as that sacrifice. So, so Paul's teaching here, we have to be com, com, completely committed to God. That's what his teaching is. He's saying we as Christians, we, we need to give all that we have. The only time maybe these Jews had ever heard such talk was when they talked about Abraham and Isaac. How, how Y'all remember that story how Abraham carried Isaac up on the mountain, laid him out on the altar, and... God provided a lamb. They had heard that story, but I doubt they'd ever heard about us as Christians offering our body as a sacrifice to the Lord. Now, sometimes what we like to do as Christians is we like to give him bits and pieces. I'll give you this area or this area or this part of my life, and and I'm going to save the rest for myself. But Paul is saying we need to be just like a sacrificial animal. We need to offer all that we are upon the altar to God. We need to say, God, I'm giving you every part of me, everything I am, God. I want you to use it. I want you to take it. I want to give every part of me to you. And when we do that, listen to what Paul says. When we offer our bodies as living sacrifices, it becomes holy and pleasing to God. Isn't that great? Think about that. If you would ask this morning, what can I do that would please God? Paul says, offer your body a living sacrifice. Say, God, I'm yours. I'm sold out to you. Whatever you want me to do, wherever you need me to go, whatever I can do. God, I'm selling out to you. Paul says, man, when we do that, God is pleased with your holy sacrifice. And when we do that, Paul says not only that, it'll be pleasing. It'll be acceptable to him. And then it ends up being your spiritual act of worship. All of that goes right together, doesn't it? Paul says, hey, when we come before God, we, we offer our bodies up as holy and pleasing to God. And he's, he, he's satisfied with that. He's pleased with that. And then we're offering up a spiritual act of worship and what we do in worship I, we talked about this a few months ago it's not just here on Sunday morning you know we worship when we offer our bodies as living sacrifice that's day after day after day that's something that wherever we're at whatever we're doing we're doing it for the Lord not for ourselves. we're offering that sacrifice that's pleasing to God every day and every day of the week and the way we do that is first We need to give our mind. Now, this is not my ideal. It's not my outline. You look right here in Romans chapter 12. Verse 1 calls for a, a decision to be made to fully surrender to the Lord. Then the first part of verse 2 tells us how we can maintain that commitment, and that's by giving Him the Lord our mind. Now, if you were sitting here this morning, and I'm sitting here this morning, and I'm thinking, how do I give the Lord my mind? Well, Paul answers that. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, what that that tense of that verse really indicates is this. We must stop conforming to the pattern of the world. Paul says, for us to give our mind to God, we need to stop conforming to the pattern of the world. We're prone to do that, aren't we? I mean, just think about that. We're... There's there's something about us that that we're prone to conform to whatever we're around. It's we want to fit in. We wanna we wanna find a comfortable place. And Paul understands that. Through the direction of the Holy Spirit, Paul's teaching us, hey, we don't no longer need to be conformed by the pattern of the world. We don't we know we don't need to be fashioned after the 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 the, the, the pattern of this world, but we need to be. Transformed. When we're transformed, we become something different, and we give him our mind, he transforms our mind. Paul is, is urging us to stop being pushed into the fashion of the world. And I was just thinking about that. Don't, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. I, I was thinking about going to Six Flags when I was little, and uh, y'all remember those things that you could put a, a, a penny in, and then you could put a dollar in, you turn that big old crank, and it would make your penny worth absolutely nothing and cost you a dollar. You know, that's about what it did. And you would get a penny out that was, uh, that was flattened out, that was shaped or conformed to the pattern of a train. That's what it was. And it may be something different now, but back then it was a train and it had six flags on it. So what happened was when you put that penny in that machine... It was the way the Creator wanted it to be. And then because of pressure and because of a mold, it was pressured and it was stamped out and it was molded into that pattern of that train. Well, Paul says when we look around this world, we don't need to be pressured and conformed and pressed into the pattern of the world. Do you ever watch How It's Made? That's a pretty good show. It just any kind of thing it takes and it shows you how it's made and and uh, it shows how different things are made, gas tanks or dashes for cars or so many different things, and and the die is cast, you know, it may even be sand, that's amazing to me, they take a, some sand and they they cast a die in it, and then they pour a mold into it, and then that mold gets hard and they take it out of there and they shape it and work on it and then. Uh, they put it back together and then they pour whatever ingredients of metal or lead or uh, rubber, whatever they want, they pour it into that mold. And and because that that cast and that die has been set through pressure, through time, when they take that mold off, it looks just like the next one that was just made and the next one that was just made and the next one that's just made. Folks, in our world today, there's been a mold, there's been a die cast. And if you watch the debate the other night, you can kind of see the different pictures of that mold that's been cast, that die that's been cast. And, And for us to say, I just want to fit in, I just have to get along, I don't want to rock the boat, Paul is saying when we do that, we've not given our mind to Christ. We've been poured into that mold or we've been cranked through that pressure and all of a sudden we come out on the other side and we look just like everybody else. And Paul says for us as Christians, for for us to be sold out to Christ, for us to say, God, this morning I want to be completely laid before you on an altar. We need to give Christ our mind, and the way we give him our mind is not to be conformed, not to be restricted and squeezed into the mold and the pattern of this world. That word there that he uses is really a a word transformed, that, that we get our word metamorphosis from, that Greek word, that transformed. There's a, there's a story about a, a really ugly man. And this really ugly man was, was a good, kind man. He was a good person in the town, but people were terrified of him. They would run from his presence. And as you can imagine, he was a very lonely man. And the one thing he wanted to do is he wanted to marry one of the women of the town, of course. He, he was wanting to go and, and have a relationship, but because of his frightening face, he, he decided to wear a mask, and he had a mask that was fashioned after a very handsome man, and he had that mask fitted on his face, and, and it was there on his face, and he kept that mask on 24 hours a day. 7 days a week and and soon he was married and soon he was living a, a happy life in the life he wanted but after a while his his wife noticed that that hey you are wearing some kind of mask you you've got this mask on and and she said I want I want to see your true face I want to see who you really are so he slowly took it off and he began to brace himself for the, the gasp of horror that he knew was going to come when she saw his true face. But instead of screaming, his, his wife just smiled at him. So the man ran to a mirror and he looked in the mirror and he realized after years of wearing that, that mask, his, his face had transformed into the features of the mask. It had, it had made a, a metamorphosis. It had changed from what it was into something new. And folks, when we put on the face of Christ and when we find our lives transformed in His likeness, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory. Listen to this. And we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Did you hear what Paul's saying? Yeah, it was Paul in 2 Corinthians 2. He said, when we transform our mind, when we break the pattern of the world and we put on the face of Christ, then we're being transformed with unveiled faces into Christ's likeness, With ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. If we want to know what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, then we need to give him our mind. When we give him our mind, listen to what Paul says. These progress right along. The last part of verse 2 then, after you've given your all to Christ, Lord, I'm giving myself to you, we're transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory. Then, we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see how those things work? Paul says this, we need to be saved. Once we're saved, we need to be surrendered. Once we're surrendered and surrendering, that's giving our mind, giving our all to God. When we've given our all to God, it's holy, it's pleasing to God. When we're being transformed in His likeness... Then, all of a sudden, we're able to test, approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, we need to understand this. God's not going to force us to do anything. God wants us to give Him our body. God wants us to give Him our mind. This scripture we read this morning from David. Was that David this morning that said, no, it was Paul, wasn't it? We just talked about Paul, about, Lord, I'm going to give you my soul when i pray i'm going to give you my mind when i pray i'm going to give you my soul my heart when i sing i'm going to give you my heart and my soul as i worship together that's giving our mind and not being conformed but being transformed the renewing our mind when we do those things then we'll be able to prove what god's will is his good pleasing and perfect will isn't that good news we don't have to wonder. We don't have to think, I wonder what God's will is. I wonder how I can know God's will. I've prayed about it. I've asked God, to just tell me, how can I know your will? We can go right here to Romans chapter 12, and Paul says, this is how you can know God's will. Let me just talk about myself. My problem with this is, I don't want to do that sometimes. I don't want to go through all those steps. I'd rather kneel right down here on Sunday morning and say, okay, God, what's your will for me? For him to say, Here it is, let's go. And to get up and move on. But God says, this is how I know that you truly want to do my will. When we're saved, when we're surrendering ourselves to God, when we've turned our mind over to God, then we'll be able to approve what His good, pleasing, and perfect will is. So we have to make sure we're saved. We have to make sure that we're surrendered. And here's the last condition, the third thing. We need to be sharpened are shaped by others. Now, this is verses 3 through 5, also in Romans chapter 12. We need to be sharp in my other. Paul says this, and I want to start at one again so we can put it all together. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of everything we've been talking about, we've been talking about a new way to heaven, we've been talking about eternal life, we've been talking about all of these things, in the view of all of those things, I urge you, I... I plead with you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer with the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then we'll be able to test to prove what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given to me, boy, here's a kick in the teeth, okay, for most of us, myself included. I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Boy, nobody wants to hear that, do we? (laughs) Don't be telling me that. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment, with sound judgment. in according with the measure of faith God has given you, just as each of us has one body... With many members, you know, we have one body, we have 10 fingers and 10 toes, some of you might have 12 toes, I don't know, but, you know, we had some kittens born one time that had six toes, <laughs> they they're getting a little close to daddy, wasn't they, <laughs> mom and dad and daughter and dad and I don't know, anyway, we had six-toed kittens uh, that were kind of a rarity, I guess, but wherever that came from. Uh, Anyway, think of yourself as sober judge in the corner of the measure of God. Just as many of us have one body with many members, these members do not have all the same function. So in Christ, the body of Christ, the church, we too have many members that form one body. So each member belongs... To all the others. (laughs) Now, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. Then he goes and lists some gifts there. Listen to what he says. We are one body with many members and many functions. So let's think about this. For us to know and approve and, and understand what God's will is, we have to be saved, we have to be surrendered, but we also have to be sharpened by others. Now, I want you to listen about something. This... Uh, diatrophies diatrophies is over in 3 John verse 9 and 10 he was called out by John here's the first thing for us to be sharpened by others we need to denounce pride that's verse 3 denounce pride for the grace given to me I say to everyone you don't think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather with sober judgment it according with the measure of faith that God has given you you know, faith, uh, thinking more of ourselves, highly of ourselves, than what God uh, has determined for us, uh, that's where pride comes in. And faith is a gift of God, so it's all from God. But Diotrephes, listen to what it says in, in 3 John 9 and 10. John says, I wrote to the church. I wrote a letter to the church, epistle to the church. By, but Diotrephes, who love to be first will have nothing to do with it. He don't have want anything to do with us. So if I come, I'm going to call attention to what he's doing. He's gossiping maliciously about us, about other Christians. Not satisfied with that, he also is refusing to welcome other brothers in, and he also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of church. See what... What John is writing about here and what Paul is writing about here is there's a member of a church, Diotrephes, and as a member of the church, he thinks of himself more highly than he ought. In other words, he's placed himself way up here on a pedestal. And in his mind, he's thinking, hey, I do more than anybody else. I have to handle this. I have to do this. I'm always responsible for this. And look at all of those other people. They ain't doing anything. And therefore, because he's thinking of that, He begins to talk about others. Hey, let me tell you what so-and-so did. Or maybe it's more like this. Hey, let me tell you what so-and-so did. And he begins to gossip about others. And he begins to run down others. And he begins to pick the phone up and say, Hey, did you hear about this? Don't you think he should have done that? Don't you think she ought to be doing that? He begins to gossip maliciously about others. And not only that, when someone comes to visit the church, when someone would come in... He would welcome them, or he'd say, oh, we don't, we don't need those kind of people here. We don't, we don't want those kind of people here. And, and somebody might stand up and say, well, sure we do. And he would say, well, you know what? If you believe that, you just need to leave. You need to get out of this church. That's what Diotrephes was doing. And boy, John called him out. John said, if uh, this is what he's doing, and when I come down there, I'm going to stand up in front of everybody, and I'm going to tell them what he's doing. I'm going I'm to call him out. You know what that is? That's the opposite of humility. That's thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. And that's what Paul is telling us about. And C.S. Lewis has a book called The Screwtape Letters. And he captures this imaginary conversation between two demons as they consider how best to attack Christians. And this is the, 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 the conversation they're having, imaginary conversation... I see only one thing to do at this moment. Your patient, the Christian, has become humble. Have you drawn attention to that fact, to your patient, that he's become humble? You need to catch him at the moment when he's really poor in spirit and smuggle into his mind gratifying reflection. And by Jove, when he realizes I'm being humble, and almost immediately pride will come in, and pride will overtake his humility, and pride will appear, and humility will disappear. You know, that's what happens. Paul is calling us as Christians to sharpen one another. We started football this week it was hot, wasn't it, Ronnie, <laughs> Coach Green, and, uh, or maybe I say Mitchell. <laughs> and uh, you know, if, if we had uh, 11 players, it would be hard to practice, wouldn't it, Coach Green? What does the other 11 players do? They line up across from the varsity players. And because there's someone else there, they sharpen one another. All of a sudden, this ninth grader who's just moved up and, and starting a new place, he, he's getting better. Why? Because he has a more experienced player over here, and, and he's teaching him, and he's working against him, and, and the coaches are saying, look, you need to be doing this. You're letting this guy run over. You need to try this. And then they're telling this player, hey, he's just a freshman. Look what he's doing to you. And what are they doing? They're not pitting one another against each other. They're sharpening one another. So your seniors over here, they've been sharpened for years by players that have moved on. And then this new group, they're being sharpened by players that are learned, that have been there for several years. And in a few years, the the seniors of this year will move on, and the freshmen of this year, they'll be up and they'll be sharpening the others. Folks, when it comes to church... We need to be sharpened by one another. We need to be teaching and training one another. I love our Wednesday night studies. We simply read the Bible. That's all we do after a time of prayer. And as we begin to read the Bible, we begin to discuss what we're reading. And you know what we're doing? We're sharpening one another. We're taking the wisdom from this person and this person and this person and... That person says, well, I was reading and I studied this and this is what I see this saying to me. And, and another person says, yeah, I studied this and, and this is what God is saying and we're, we're sharpening one another. And folks, as we think about a church and the body of believers and the many members, just like in a football team, there can't be 11 quarterbacks on the field. There's going to be one quarterback and there's going to be a couple of running backs. And there's got to be a center. And there's got to be a guard. And there's got to be a tackle. And, and all of those are depending on one another to be successful. Folks, when it comes to a church, we're depending on one another to be successful. One person can't do it all. One person can't come in and say, hey, this is the way I want it. This is the way it's going to be. And I'm going to make it happen. We rely on one another that we can be one. The scripture we just read, you know what it said? It says, just as each body has many members, I want you to look around at the person next to you. Some of you, they'll be uncomfortable. Just look around, or just get your peripheral started and just give them a little glance. You belong to that person. Do you know that? That's what the scripture says. We belong to one another. We're a part of the family of God. We're on the, the team of God, if you will. Just as this body has many members, these members don't have the same function, yet we belong to one another. And folks, when we can begin to understand that to know God's will, we need to be saved, we need to be surrendered... But we need to be sharpening ourselves with other Christians. We need to be spending some time in Sunday school with other Christians, in Bible study with other Christians, in the sermon, in the time of worship corporately with other Christians, and we begin to sharpen ourselves. Two more things, and we'll be through. We need to celebrate our differences. I kind of got into that. Verse 4 says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, And these members don't all have the same functions. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad everybody this morning isn't standing up here waiting to preach their sermon? Amen. (laughs) Would never get out of here. Aren't you glad that uh, we have some folks that can lead the music? If I had to play the piano, we would have to sing Chopsticks and Mary Had a Little Lamb. That's the only two I can work out over there. Aren't you glad we have folks that can do that? Aren't you glad we have folks that can come and prepare a lesson and teach in our Sunday school time of training? Aren't you glad we have someone that keeps our building clean? Aren't you glad we have someone that built a playground? Wesley, you should have let us know. Wesley was up till, <laughs> till 3 in the morning building a playground out here for our children. <laughs> I mean, aren't you glad we have people that's got different talents, different gifts, Yet we all belong together. And here's the thing about that. When we're tempted to say me, we need to say we. We need to realize that that not only do we celebrate our differences because we have so many different members and so many different abilities, we need to embrace our dependency. We need to embrace the fact that we're dependent on one another. So in Christ, we who form we who are many form one body and each member belongs to the other you know as Christians we're not on an island we talk a lot about being brothers and sisters in Christ we talk a lot about being the body of Christ folks we belong to one another we need to be dependent on one another we need to embrace our differences if somebody's different than us we don't need to cross our arms and throw our nose up and say boy that That person, aren't you glad everybody ain't like you? If you really look at it, aren't you glad? I'm glad y'all ain't like me. Boy, we'd have a mess out here. Don't be shaking your head down there. I'm glad everybody ain't like you, too. (laughs) Denise down there, only amen. I got five years from her, and she's down there going, yeah, I'm glad everybody ain't like you. We need to embrace that difference, folks, because in Christ, we're a body with many members with many functions, but we belong to one another. I came across this that says, this is my church. I want you to listen to what it says, because this is maybe the truest thing that I'll read as an illustration. My church is composed of people just like me. It will be friendly if I'm friendly. It will do great work if I work. It will make generous gifts to many causes if I'm generous. It will bring others to the fellowship if I bring them. Therefore, with God's help, I dedicate myself to the task of being all the things I want my church to be. Isn't that true? Folks, if we have a building full, it's because you bring them. If we have a great ministry, it's because you've ministered. If we have a great outreach, it's because you've been the outreach. It's, it's your church. It's our church. It's God's church. And it can be all the things we want our church to be. But it takes all of us doing what God wants us to be. It's similar to a, a little thing written by Mavis Wildon called The Perfect Church. If you could find the perfect church without fault or smear, for goodness sakes, don't join the church. You'd spoil the atmosphere. But since there is no perfect church made up of imperfect men, let's cease looking for that church and love the church we're in. Folks, we need to realize that God plants us and God places us in an area that we can minister, in an area that we can reach out. After World War II, a group of German students, they volunteered to help rebuild an, an English cathedral that had been severely damaged by these German bombs. And as they worked and work progressed, they became concerned about this large statue of Jesus. His arms were outstretched, and beneath his arms were the words, Come unto me. And because of the bombs that had fallen and the damage that had taken place the uh, the arms had been broken off, and uh, they were trying to restore the hands and It was just nearly impossible and uh, so from about here down, uh, there was nothing just a couple of of arms with no hands and After much discussion they they decided to put under the the wording there, these words. Christ has no hands but ours. Folks, that's still true today. Christ has no hands but ours. He gives us a concern. He opens us children's mind to areas that he wants us to minister in. We need to pray about those things. We need to think about the impact that it has on eternity. Then we need to put feet behind what God has called us to do. God didn't call us to come and to hear a message on Sunday and to enjoy the music and then just to go back to a life and being conformed by the pattern of the world. But God called us to be His hands and to be His ministers in His world. Let's bow together this morning. And Father, I pray this morning as we just consider living life on purpose. I pray that we would know that you've placed us in so many different places. In the school system, and Encore, in the delivery business, in the farming business. Just name it. You've placed us in so many areas that we might be your hands and your church. And, Father, I pray that we would know that none of us stand alone today. And, Father, that we can celebrate one another's differences, that we can be thankful that we have many members, and as many members we have different functions. And, Father, I pray that we would be sober in our judgment and our thinking of ourselves. Father, I pray that we would be diligent in our service to you. And, Father, I pray that we would have the kind of church that we desire that you desire through our ministry. I pray, Father, that we would be the one to bring others and invite others. I pray that we'd be the one that reaches out and ministers to those in need and those hurting. And Lord, I pray that we would stay in contact with brothers and sisters in Christ, that we might sharpen one another, that we might train one another, that we might grow together as one another. And then, Father, when those loved ones and those in our congregation pass on and and go and go to their eternal place in heaven, Father, that we carry on the ministry that was begun by them. The things that we learn from them and we teach others, we sharpen others that your word and your truth and your ministry from East Delta might go on and move on until your return. Lord, I pray this morning that we would answer that question first. Do I No, and have I prepared for eternity? Lord, if there's some here that's not, I pray today would be the day of salvation. And then, Father, I pray that you would prick our hearts, that we might be moved to the point of following through in the ministry that you've given us. Lord, I pray most all that this morning, just a bunch of words and a bunch of uh, sayings, Lord, that you would take those, of foolishness of that, and Father, that you would bind them together, that they would fall on the hearts of your people, and you'd give them a spirit of understanding and a spirit of desire to fulfill our purpose for you. Lord, I pray now as we just have a time of invitation, Lord, that we would respond to your calling however you would lead us. And I pray this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.